Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tuesday edition of PFT Live, we continue to talk Bengals issues. This is something that popped up yesterday. The official game book that is generated after every NFL contest has at the very end a collection of snaps, playing time percentage, and there was something jarring in there as it relates to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon was on the field for 23 plays on Sunday in the game against the Chiefs. Samaj P. Ryan was on the field for 43 plays. This was just one week after Joe Mixon had 20 carries for 105 rushing yards against the Buffalo Bills. It was stunning. It was jarring. There wasn't a whole lot of running in the game plan. And maybe the game plan was to pass, 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 pass. But when you look at Mixon's production and involvement in the last game of the season, and you consider, Miles, that Joe Mixon has a $9.4 million non-guaranteed salary for 2022, and when you consider all the players coming up for contracts in Cincinnati, key players beyond Mixon. Mixon's a key player. Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase becomes eligible after the 2023 season. And every cap dollar you save this year is a cap dollar you could use on Jamar Chase next year. It's hard not to wonder whether or not there's something deeper going on. And at a minimum, are they going to squeeze Joe Mixon to take less? At worst, could it be that Joe Mixon's time in Cincinnati is over? It's, it's, it's well, and- a shame if it happens. He's not even 27 yet, but that's what happens right. with running backs. Yes, it, it is. And it's, it's about team construction, right? I mean, how do you make sure that you're maximizing the most out of every dollar you can out of the cap when, frankly, Joe Burrow is probably going to break, break, oh man, easy for me to say, break the bank very soon, right? Jamar Chase, he's going to break, break the bank. Bake the bank, <laughs> baby. Let's bake the bank. I like that better. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting in Sims chair today, aren't I? Yeah. Maybe so Sims is here today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> T Higgins, also another guy that's going to get paid. So this is something that you have to think about. But also, I, I, I think that it's kind of two separate issues because you can look at this and think it might have been game plan specific because they kind of knew last week that they could out physical the bills. Right. They pulverized them up front. I think that they knew, especially with three backup OLs, that they weren't going to be able to do the same thing to the Chiefs, who have a D-line that's led by Frank Clark, who's had an incredible monster year this year. And we saw that he wrecked the game for the Cincinnati Bengals with what he was able to do along that defensive line. So I think that that's part of it, especially because you go back a couple weeks and that playoff game that Cincinnati played um, against the, the Baltimore Ravens, Samaj P. Ryan had the majority of snaps running back in that game too. So I, I think part of the difficulty with running the ball is that when you know you can't really do it, you've got to put somebody else back in there. And that's what they did with Samaj P. Ryan a couple weeks ago, and that's what they did on Sunday night uh, against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. It just bears watching because – If you're going to be tying up a large percentage of the cap in Joe Burrow, and more on that in a second, 
T. Higgins, Jamar Chase. You've got other key players who command a significant percentage of the cap. And we know we know what the running back position is. The running mm-hmm. back position entails far greater supply than demand. And you can find a running back in every round of the draft. You can find a great running back undrafted. Every major college program generates every year at least one guy who could come to the NFL. And if you block for him, if you trust him to hold on to the football, and if you can trust him to not get the quarterback blown up in blitz pickup, he's ready to go. And sometimes you got to go a couple of years in special teams and you prove yourself that way, and then, boom, off you go. But younger, cheaper, healthier, that's the key. And, and that, that's what's working against every running back as he gets toward 27, 28, 29, 30. The Key for the Bengals, though, this offseason is Joe Burrow. He became eligible for a second contract the moment the 2022 regular season ended. Here's Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, on the urgency to get a deal done with Joe Burrow now that 2022 is over. Yeah, I think that starts now uh, internally. And so, again, just wrapped up with the team today, and as you go forward, you get a chance to start talking about Joe and, and all the other players that are up. You know, that's that's the balance you always have to strike is is we've got really talented players and, and you want to work to get them back. And at the same time, you're balancing developing younger players. And so, again, we we want all these great players we have, we want them back. And and then, uh, you know, that's a chance to work these next couple of weeks and see where we end up. And at the same time, always developing, um, you know, the, the I, I don't like saying the bottom of the roster, all the guys on the roster. You know, and I think we've taken great pride in, in doing that. Yeah, fortunately, um, I don't have to put that <laughs> to put that on paper. You know, in terms of what that is, that's just the the business we're in right now. Um, he's everything we want to be about. He he is a hard worker. Um, he cares about his teammates. He cares about where he's from, Ohio. Um, this fan base. I think he represents us the right way. And so we take a lot of pride in having Joe Burrow as our quarterback. You know, the issue has come up recently, especially because three of the four quarterbacks in the conference championship games are on their rookie deal. Can you win with a quarterback who's on a big money contract? Well, you can. The challenge becomes, I mean, look at the Chiefs. They're doing it with Patrick Mahomes. The challenge becomes hitting on your draft picks, developing. It's not just picking the right guys. It's developing. Mm -hmm. I think back to the conversation we seem to have every year about the Patriots. Do they fail when it comes to selecting receivers or do they fail when it comes to developing receivers? receivers who may have become better players under another coaching staff we don't know that it's all the same thing draft and develop draft and develop and you have to do that because you have every year seven or more depending upon compensatory picks and trades etc opportunities to bring in guys who are at a very low salary amount who can supplement the guys who are making a ton of money and and that's the challenge and that's what the Bengals are now going to shift into they've had their three years with Joe Burrow at a salary level that is easy to manage. Now they're going to have to figure out how to manage their team with Joe Burrow getting more, and I think Burrow's sensitive to that. And look, I'm a firm believer in get everything you can while you can because the moment that you can no longer do what you're doing now, they are done with you. Get paid while you can. The balance, though, if you're Joe Burrow and you want to compete for championships and build a legacy is i got to leave some food in the trough for everybody else or it's going to be all rookies. It's going to be Joe Burrow and all rookies and undrafted guys for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and well, I mean, look, I think if you're Joe Burrow, you you want to keep T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase around for as long as you possibly can. So that's one aspect of it. But if you're Joe Burrow, you know, you're Justin Herbert, you're Jalen Hurts, you should not be playing a down in 2023 without a new contract. You know, what are we talking about with Lamar Jackson? Right. And we're going to talk more about Lamar Jackson later on in the show and potentially getting franchise tag. But you should not be playing anything in 2023 without some significant guarantees. If Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray's agent could get that done last year, then that's what should be done for you this year. You don't necessarily have to be as vocal about it as Kyler Murray was. Maybe you only get vocal about it after the, uh, the offseason program ends in June. Because that's the time where we start to see these things, right? And that's six weeks-ish between the end of minicamp and the start of training camp. All three of those dudes, if they have not been signed to a new contract, need to get signed to a new contract if I'm them, right? Because there is 
too much money to be made that you should be leaving some on the table right now. You need to get those guarantees right now. I mean, we know Joe Burrow's great, right? We know Justin Herbert appears to be a franchise guy. We know Jalen Hurts is an MVP candidate. Those three dudes should not be playing anything. They shouldn't even show up to training camp if they don't have a new deal. And the trail that Joe Burrow and the Bengals can blaze here, I made this point after baby-faced assassin went up to Buffalo and won by 17. Give mm-hmm. him a percentage of the cap. Every year, guaranteed a percentage of the cap. The franchise tag numbers came out yesterday. They are driven by every year, wait for it, a percentage of the cap. It's okay that you don't know the number until you know what the salary cap is going to be. You know that a defined amount of every dollar is going to go to your quarterback. 12 cents, 13 cents, 14 cents, whatever they negotiate. And then you have everything left for the rest of your team. The league doesn't want teams to do it. There's nothing in the CBA that prevents it. I've been saying for years it needs to be done. And Mike Brown is enough of a contrarian that maybe he's the right guy to do it. And Joe Burrow may be the right guy to push for it. It's a, it's a compelling argument to make. Look, how many cents out of the dollar am I worth to you? I don't care about total dollars. How many cents out of every cap dollar am I worth to you? That's how we need to be thinking about this negotiation. And if Burrow approaches it that way, Miles, I think he'll be the first one to get it. And if he doesn't get it, maybe nobody will ever get it. Maybe not, but I, I think that that is a very compelling argument to do it. And I mean, if you have it that way, then it's not, uh, there are anchor points, right? That you have, and you know what that set anchor point is every year when the cap comes out. And frankly, the cap ain't going it down any further. We know that the NFL, all they continue to do is generate money and make more money. And this is why people like you and, you know, people that I guess are pushing it from 345 want there to be neutral site conference championship games, which I think is an awful idea. But if you keep generating money, then that cap is going to continue to go up. And that's why, you know, it's an okay thing for you to have a set of percentage of the cap. I just know how to deal with the inevitable. Resistance is futile. The league is going to do it. Doesn't matter whether we like it or not. Me screaming from the mountaintop isn't going to change it. I frankly the don't Rooney, care if the, the games Roonies are don't neutral like site it. or home. You said you oh, wanted it okay. to be. They only have- you said you wanted to be neutral site, and you and the rest of us in the PFT group chain said that you're wrong. So I was happy with that. It was a good. It was a good group. Let, let me let me just say something. Those are all off the record communications. Those are all privileged. Those are all protected. Those are all under the not quite attorney-client privilege, but something close enough to that. All right. Uh, One more item. One more item from the game that was on Sunday night. That stupid-ass do-over that that was one of the most bizarre moments, in part because I don't think anybody really knew what was going on, which created an even greater sense of ambiguity. It all happened because... The field judge, the back judge, one of the judges. Here comes the judge. And he did, he literally came into the screen. He had tried to kill the play before it started because the clock, the game clock was running when it shouldn't have been running. So they killed the play. The play happened. Nobody noticed. Here he comes, upper left. He's killing the play as the play is starting. The yeah. Chiefs don't get the first down. They get a mulligan. They get a chance to do it again. Well, We talked about this yesterday. Okay, fine. The official sees the clock is running. He's trying to rectify the error. Game clock operator made a mistake. No, that's not what happened. You go back and watch the game. On the prior play, there was an incomplete pass. The ball wasn't spotted in the right place after the incompletion. They spotted that. They went out and they moved it. Ron Torbert, the referee, said to the world, And I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what he said. On my signal, the game clock and the play clock will begin. Not the play clock only. He said both. He gave the direction, on my signal, start the game clock. He's the one that made the mistake here, not the game clock operator. And I don't know what the communication is. You know, I mean, they're, they all have the, the earpiece in. I don't know who can talk to the referee, but they need to have a path to the game clock operator to ask the referee or say to the referee, whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody needed to say to Ron Torbert at that point, the game clock does not start on your signal, just the play clock. So whether it was the game clock operator, I mean, 
It could have been 345. Somebody could have said to Ron Torbert, no, the game clock shouldn't start. But I think the game clock operator, when he or she gets a command that they should know, conflicts with the rules. Because incomplete pass, clock stops until the next play starts. You need to be able to hit a panic button to tell somebody. And it shouldn't be. It, I, I guess my point is we never should have had this mulligan. We never should have had this do-over because, number one, Ron Torbert made a mistake. And, number two, apparently there was no mechanism for fixing it before you create this bad outcome where it makes people think the NFL is rigged even though it isn't. Well, right. And, and fortunately, it really didn't affect the outcome of the game all that much. I mean, at least the, some of the Bengals feel that way. I saw Jesse Bates say that, you know, that they got the stop. So this wasn't as egregious as it could have been. But yeah, I mean, when you have an officiating mistake that we all see happen in real time, and then we all see the consequences of that where you can get the mulligan. I mean, first of all, why, why isn't the judge coming in there waving his arms more frantically. It's like he stops doing it once he sees that the play is kind of starting. Like, no, 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 dude. If you realize that there's a mistake, like you gotta, you gotta come in there with some gusto. I mean, I know that we're not here to see the officials and them do whatever they want to do, but that's one where if you recognize a mistake, you really need to be emphatic about it. So it was an officiating mistake. It got corrected. It didn't change the outcome of the game, fortunately. And you know, at least we can put this to bed. But it did force the Bengals to stop the Chiefs again, even though they'd already stopped the Chiefs, and it did chew off more time on the clock. I mean, that's the irony, if irony is being used properly by me in this case, and who the hell knows. This whole exercise in making sure that time didn't unnecessarily come off the clock resulted in more time coming off the clock and shortening the game because the Bengals should have had the ball back sooner than they did, and that would have affected everything and did affect everything that happened thereafter. Every play call, but every if scenario, you reset, everything. If you reset the clock, it, happen- it affects the clock, everything. Didn't it not? If they reset the clock to where it was supposed to be, then shouldn't no, there my, been my less point time is, coming off no, because my, it wasn't? No, but my point is more time came off to process the rest of the drive to get to the point where we ended up where the Bengals got the ball back. I'm saying if that play had counted, if you count that play, they get the ball back on the next play with 10, 19 on the clock. Instead, they got the ball back later because the chiefs had several more snaps before they had to punt. All right. We have to punt. Maybe Kellen Moore really did leave the Cowboys under a mutual decision. If so, the first truly mutual decision of all time, because More crash landed on his feet just one day after leaving the Cowboys. We'll discuss that when this Tuesday edition of PFD Live continues right after this. On Sunday, there was a mutual parting the ways between the Cowboys and offensive coordinator Kellen Moore on Monday. Welcome to the L.A. Chargers. What a shock that was. I mean, not really, but I guess kind of. It tells you that Moore had something going on behind the scenes with the charge. He did just show up and interview for the job and get hired right away. Now, the Rooney rule applies to coordinator jobs now, and the Chargers had complied with all requirements, but it just seems weird. It just it creates the feeling that, that there was something happening behind the scenes, and maybe the Cowboys were fine with it. I think the Cowboys are trying to offload Kellen Moore because if you just push him out, you owe him the balance of his contract. Maybe he's getting as much as he would have gotten from the Cowboys, and it saves Jerry Jones every penny that he would have otherwise spent on Kellen Moore. I don't know, but I do know this. Now Kellen Moore goes into a spot where he's working with a defensive coach, not an offensive coach, and he has a pretty damn good quarterback to try to mold into the kind of superstar that will help Kellen Moore go interview for a head coaching job and actually get it, and then the Chargers have to hire another offensive coordinator, which is a point we made earlier. When you have a defensive coach and a great quarterback, you have a revolving door at offensive coordinator. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it it reminds me of something an offensive coach once told me when he was going to be an offensive coordinator after he was no longer, you know, not calling plays. You know, it's like you you can't hide now. And it's not that Kellen Moore was hiding before, you know, when you're calling plays for Dak Prescott and you're trying to bring up Dak Prescott. But this is really a spotlight job because of the potential that we all believe that Justin Herbert has. And I mean, I don't know how many times I've sat here on Monday mornings on this program and said, man, it is so frustrating to watch Justin Herbert throw balls at or behind the line of scrimmage. 
right? I mean, you have a guy in Austin Eckler who he's extremely talented, and I don't mean to say this to put him down, but when you have the kind of receiving core, and I know that they were injured, but that they have with the Chargers, you don't want to see Austin Eckler catch 100 passes. That's not necessarily what you want to see. You want to see Justin Herbert push the ball down the field a little bit more. I mean, I was looking at it, you know, as I was getting ready for this last night, Justin Herbert had 6.8 yards per attempt, 9.9 yards per completion. Dak Prescott this year, 7.3 yards per attempt and 11.0 yards per completion. That means he's getting the ball down the field farther. So just that alone should be more encouraging than anything else to Chargers fans. I mean, at its peak, right, the five games that Dak played before he got hurt a couple of years ago, he was at 8.4 yards per attempt. You can get that kind of thing with Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, then you're really going to be in business. And perhaps we're talking about the Chargers as more of a serious contender than we were this year. Yeah, and uh, it, it is a great opportunity for Kellen Moore. And, and look, the pressure is going to be on Brandon Staley this year, but the pressure was going to be on Mike McCarthy. It's not like Kellen Moore stepped into a situation that was worse than the one he was in. Uh, I, I think the, the, the scrutiny of the Cowboys would be stronger than ever in 2023, with or without more there, because McCarthy's still there. Now you go to a place where you, you do have a guy who, from an overall skill set standpoint, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, we're just waiting for the most to be gotten from him. And one thing we don't know about last year, you know, he had that rib injury week two. How long did that really impair him and affect him? The shoulder surgery we found out about on Sunday. So maybe the guy wasn't 100%. But we have seen some greatness from Justin Herbert and now Kellen Moore. If he pulls enough of it out, ends up becoming a head coach somewhere else. We know that's how the formula goes. Let's go ahead and take a break, even though we, we're, we're actually taking a break a little early here. I, I have a feeling wow. they're stunned in the control room, but I got, nothing, I got nothing more to say about that one. So why do, we, why do we just talk for the sake of talking? We're going to take a break, and we'll talk about something else as it relates to an AFC West team. The Raiders' current efforts, if there are any, to try to trade Derek Carr. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, Fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In 15 days, Derek Carr will have $40.4 million in future compensation become fully and completely guaranteed. We've known that for a while now, and that's why the Raiders benched Derek Carr for the final two games of the 2022 regular season. Reportedly yesterday, and multiple reports to this effect emerged, the Raiders have yet to give Derek Carr permission to shop himself to suitors. And it surprised me, but it didn't. Here's why it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it surprised me because we got 15 days to have a deal in place unofficially before mm-hmm. that $40.4 million vests. And we've assumed all along that the Raiders are going to want to have a deal in place before that $40.4 million becomes fully and completely guaranteed. So that's, that, that's why it surprised me. But it doesn't surprise me because 
if Carr has the ability to go try to set up his own trade, part of that conversation is going to be, well, you know, if they cut you, we'll pay you more because we won't have to give them the draft picks they're looking for. So you've got that no trade clause. That's basically your way to short circuit the whole process. So how about this? You get cut and then we'll sign you for X, which is more than we'd be willing to pay you. If we have to trade for you, we would want you to redo your contract to account for the fact that we had to give up a second round pick or whatever to get you. So I think that's why the Raiders don't want to give Carr that license because once you allow the communications, there's no way to police what the communications are going to be, Miles. Yeah, and, and that to an extent makes sense. But then at that point, it's kind of how are you going to trade the guy if this is what the deal is, right? I mean, this just seems to me to be more preamble to the inevitability that if the Raiders want to save that 40.4 million, then they're going to have to cut him. I mean, there's, I don't really see the other way around it. And I got Raiders fans in my mentions last night telling me that there's some obscure rule that he can't talk to these guys anyway. And it doesn't matter. And you know, why shouldn't Dave Ziegler be working the phones and it's this and it's that well, I'll say because the Raiders decided that they were going to move on from Derek Carr in December because they didn't play him so that they could save themselves from that 40.4 million becoming guaranteed because Derek Carr can't pass a physical. So we already know this. And if I know this and Mike, if you know this, then, you know, the other 31 teams in the league also know it. So because Derek Carr has a no trade clause, because that 40.4 million is coming to him guaranteed in the middle of February, we all know that there's kind of a drop dead date here. And if it just so happens that, the Raiders realize that, you know, they don't really believe that a trade can get done, then I guess that that's why you wouldn't give him permission to seek out a deal. But Max, if I'm another team, why would I have a conversation with you if I don't even know that Derek Carr is interested in this because he has a no trade clause? The the whole thing kind of doesn't make sense to me when you put it together as a puzzle. Here's my theory. And I think it's possible the Raiders have thought this through every which way they possibly can, and they realize there's no alternative to cutting Derek Carr. There's no mm-hmm. way we're going to have a trade in place that would be unofficial and non-binding, and that's the great irony here, and I do think I'm using it right this time. If someone would do to Josh McDaniels what Josh McDaniels did to the Colts five years ago, yeah. when it's not official, you can bail. Come March 15, when it's time for the league year to begin and both teams to turn the key to launch the trade, if you say, ah, we decided not to do it, there's no consequence as far as the league is concerned now. It makes you kind of a pariah among other teams. It hurts relationships. It pisses people off. But you have every right under the rules to say, I'm not going forward with the trade. You're stuck with Derek Carr and his $40.4 million. Here's my theory. What if... Dave Ziegler and or Josh McDaniels have convinced Mark Davis to go ahead and let February 15 come and go. Let the 44 or 40.4, excuse me, million become fully guaranteed. We accept that. We own that. We trade him with that as part of the reality that has to be worked out. We all know it's now on the table. It's got to be worked out. And you know one of the ways it's got to be worked out? Derek Carr's got to give up some of that money if he wants to be traded to another team. And if he doesn't give up some of his money, he's Baker Mayfield 2022. He's guy who's sitting and rotting with no team to go practice with in the offseason. They may be banking on a psychological assessment of the personality of Derek Carr that he will not sit there with his arms folded, stewing, knowing he's going to get $40.4 million, but he's not allowed to play for anyone. And in theory, he could barge in. He could say, I'm here, deal with me. Would his ego allow him to do it? What happened when they benched him? What happened? He ran home. And that's fine. I don't mean that in a pejorative way, even if it sounded like that, and I know it did. But he didn't want to force his way into the locker room. My point is, he didn't say, tough crap, Mark Davis. You have to deal with me. I'll be a distraction. You have to deal with me. You can't send me home. You can't pull a Keyshawn Johnson or a Terrell Owens on me. The rules don't allow that anymore. You have to deal with me. So I'll be there. 
day one of the offseason program. I'll be there day two. I'll be there for practice. I'll be there for training camp. And you have to deal with me even if you're not going to actually play me in the games. And you're going to pay me $40.4 million to basically be your new Marcus Allen. Remember when they put Marcus Allen on ice for multiple years and they just didn't play him? So I think there, I, I think there's a possibility. And I hadn't thought about this until the news yesterday. That they're going to pay. They're not going to pay. They're going to take on the obligation. And then at some point later, they'll trade him. With him taking less, maybe the Raiders paying some of it like the Browns did. They still saved $9 million plus with the transaction to the Panthers over what they would have paid him. But that may be where this goes. And maybe the rush isn't to make him the first guy traded. Maybe the play is let, let the musical chairs play out with all these other veteran quarterbacks. When the music stops, somebody's not going to have a quarterback. That's when we start our trade talks. That that's that I hadn't thought of that until yesterday's news. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I read that post at PFT that you did, and it it that is the thing that kind of makes this make sense in the puzzle, where you know you have Derek Carr who has said goodbye to the Raiders, you have the Raiders who have already ostensibly moved on from Derek Carr, but then it's kind of like, okay, well, how do you massage that in the way? that makes it all right. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know I, if I'm, I hope that Derek Carr would say if that's the way that the Raiders want to play it, right. If they say we're going to squat on this contract, we're going to squat on you. I would hope that Derek Carr just shows up, you know, make, make this uncomfortable for them because they're the ones who did this. To, you know, you want to play, you want to show that you can be a championship caliber quarterback. You have done everything you possibly can to, to show that you are the guy. I think of all the things and all the leadership qualities that he's shown in the 2021 season. Uh, and for whatever reason, it didn't quite work that well with Josh McDaniels this year. But if they're the ones who are making the decision to get rid of you after they already guaranteed you this money, then who? why should you make it comfortable for them? If they have made that decision already, then it's like, cut me or let me go somewhere else. Let's figure this out. I just, I don't think that that's, in a human way, I, I don't know that that's the best route for the Raiders to go because it, it really would put the ball in Derek Carr's court to then make this as uncomfortable as possible for the Raiders, and I think that he should. But I think they'd be banking on the fact that he won't. That it is contrary to his personality to create those problems. That he would look at it and say, I had great memories here. I've made plenty of money. They want to move on. I, and I don't want to just sit home and make $40.4 million over the next two years. I want to go play football. I want to prove them wrong. His desire to prove them wrong may overcome yeah. his desire to get the full $40.4 million. And from the Raiders' perspective, if they can get him to take less and if they pay some of it, that maximizes their draft pick compensation. And remember, those draft picks have a dollar value, 2017. The Texans sent a second-round pick to the Browns to take Brock Osweiler's $16 million fully guaranteed contract off their hands. How much money would the Raiders devote to Carr under $40.4 million to guarantee that they'll get something for him? And that's the other side of it, too. This is where ego comes into it. The Raiders don't want to cut him and get nothing for him and look like idiots. So the only way to avoid looking bad is to secretly pay him some money, not secretly, we all find out about it, but you know what I mean, quietly pay right. some of the contract, and Derek Carr takes less, and it's a sliding scale for the new team. The more you have to pay the player, the less you give up in draft picks. The more you give up in draft picks, the less you want to pay the player. So yeah. the combination of Derek Carr taking less, the Raiders paying some, the Raiders can say we got a second-round pick for Derek Carr or whatever they get for him. And Miles, the mere fact that Baker Mayfield didn't do it last year, because if any guy, when you look at the personality and what we know and what we've seen, if any guy in the NFL for the past 20 years was going to be the one to say, I'm showing up, deal with me, it would have been Baker Mayfield. And he yeah. didn't do it. He yeah. stayed home while they worked out this issue with his $19.9 million salary that he cut by $4.6 million to facilitate a trade to the Panthers. And it was too late. That's the other thing yeah. they have going for him. Hey, 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 Derek, 
before you decide yeah. to just let this play out through the draft, look at what happened to Baker Mayfield last year. Don't you want to yeah. go somewhere and be ready to go day one? That's the power the Raiders have. And I th- yeah. you know, the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, I think we're on to something. If you're willing yeah. to take the risk that he just says, I still don't want to be traded, I'll take your 40 40- Point four million to just be here or sit at home on my couch and not play. I think their assessment is he won't do that. Well, he said in that statement, the fire to win a championship so burns deep inside me. And I'm paraphrasing that, but if that's the way he feels, then I guess you are banking on that. And yeah, I guess we're, we're talking as you just said, our myself into it where I think that that actually makes sense for the Raiders because I don't know. I mean, I, if it's me, though, I just want a clean break. I want to move on. I don't, I don't want to deal with the things that the Browns were dealing with last year where, you know, you just have to think about Baker Mayfield for all of eternity until you finally get rid of him, right? But at the same time, why would you give up an asset for nothing, it, which is also what we were talking about last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Well, first of all, he wasn't healthy. Second of all, the 49ers didn't just want to cut him for nothing and not get anything. So it, it's – it's one of those situations where, yeah, Derek Carr is one of the quarterbacks in this league that you can ostensibly drop onto a team that needs a QB and, you know, you're a playoff contender. But at the same time, if you're the Raiders, why just give up an asset for nothing? So it, it's it's going to be this interesting situation to see how it plays out. Now, look, the other side of this very well may be that as Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, GM and head coach respectively of the Raiders, try to talk Mark Davis into this plan, Davis decides two weeks from today, I'm not comfortable taking on the $40.4 million. This is not one of the richer owners in the league. This is a guy that from time to time we hear there are cash flow issues. I don't know that it's true. I just know what others have reported and said. I don't want to get sued for defamation for suggesting that Mark Davis, who drives around in a Mini Cooper, isn't a multi-billionaire. But, you know, it may be that at the end of the day, he says to Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, hey, guys, I'll go through with this. But if this blows up, it's your ass. It's not mine. It's yours. Maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't really mean this, but I could see uh, Davis kind of say to McDaniels and, and Ziegler, all right, how about this? You give up your buyouts beyond 2023 if this blows up in my face so I can fire you guys and not owe you money too. That would be funny <laughs> if Mark Davis played that card. But but that's the thing. If you're going to do it, if you're going to take on that $40.4 million, you want to be damn sure you're not going to get stuck, Miles, with $40.4 million. Right. But, and that's what I mean when I'm saying that if you're a team that wants Derek Carr, you need to know that Derek Carr is also interested in you. And you've said this many times. Why would a team go after a quarterback that they know does not want to be there? You're not going to do that. And part of the issue right now, too, is that there are so much fluctuation with coaching staffs, right? You know, half the league basically needed an offensive coordinator last week, and now some of those positions have been filled. But, I mean, you just don't really know where things are going to land, where things are going to end up. And some of that's going to be finalized within the next couple of weeks. But at the same time, it's like you need to really know where it is that you want to be if you're Derek Carr in order to facilitate a trade, right? Unless all of these musical chair seats get filled up by different veteran quarterbacks and then it's April and it's almost the start of the offseason program. It's like, well, there's this team that I know that I really want to go to. That team really wants me and, you know, I'm still here and I'm still a Raider and I got this on my contract and, you know, maybe I should – take away some of that so I can definitely get out of here. And it's all these different types of things. I I don't know, man. It's, it's a weird situation that we haven't necessarily seen before because that of that date that we've got in mid February, where it's kind of the guarantees kick in. It's not kind of, it's kind of a drop dead date, right? Where the guarantees kick in and he should either be a free agent or he isn't versus, you know, usually we see this kind of stuff happen at the beginning of the new league year and it, or at the beginning of the regular season. And, you know, this all started because the Raiders didn't want the distraction last year of Josh McDaniels taking over as head coach and Derek Carr 
not having a contract beyond 2022. They could have just said, we're fine completing this year of his contract. We don't need to have a contract that goes beyond this year. But then one of the talking points all year long would have been, are they really sold? Is the new regime really all in for Derek Carr? Well, of course they are. They gave him a new contract. Meanwhile, secretly, they're asking themselves every day, are we really all in with this guy? And they decide after 15 games, no, we're not. Let's find a way out of this mess that we created because we didn't want people asking us the questions. I mean, they kind of have gotten what they deserve. The fact that they were so worried about appearances and scrutiny and questions as they assessed whether or not Derek Carr was their guy. You know, they bought this placeholder contract, this right to really really that's what it really was. It's a right to decide whether or not we want to keep him. Now they have to clean the mud off their shoes or something else. Uh, even smellier than that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, they stepped in horse poop, if you will. Right. With this kind yes, of deal. Yes. I don't know how many horses there are out the, there in Henderson, Nevada, but that's sensibly what they stepped on. I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and then we'll go to break because it really requires no elaboration. But when we were kids and actually like back in the days when kids went outside and stayed outside all day, there was a certain type of shoe. It was the Pro Ked that had a groove, a very tight groove in it. And if you happen to step in something that one of the neighborhood dogs left behind, because back in those days they didn't carry around a, a shovel or a or a, you know yeah, a bag for it. Game. It was just kind of like free range dog. You'd be hanging around with your friends, and somebody would smell something, and everybody had to check their shoes because somebody had indeed stepped in it, as I did to trigger. The dulcet sounds of the ragtime piano, which goes back way farther than I do. Let's take a break. When we return, the salary cap is out for 2023. We'll tell you what it is and what it means for one player in particular. More PFT Live right after this. One point twenty one gigawatts. Miles Simmons has never seen the movie from which that quote comes. Miles, do you know what movie that comes from? 1.21 gigawatts. Do you know? Is it Back to the Future? I mean, I don't know. There you go. Yes. That's the okay. that's the amount of power that it takes to activate the time travel, the flux capacitor that was designed by Dr. Emmett Brown. Fascinating tweet yesterday with a list of all the other actors who were considered for the role of Emmett Brown, including Danny DeVito, who would have been awesome. Steve Martin, Robin Williams, and plenty of others, plenty of others that, uh, especially given uh, intervening events, uh, kind of eyebrow raising when you consider that they may have been one of the iconic characters of American cinema, even though Miles has yet to see the movie. All right. 1.21 gigawatts for the NFL this year is two point or not two, 224.8 million record high for the salary cap. And what we're seeing is an emergence from the pandemic because they didn't take the losses from the 2020 year with mostly no fans all in one fell swoop in 21. They've spread it over multiple years. And now what we see is 208.2 becomes 224.8. And Miles, I think by next year it's going to be 250. Yeah. I think that would make sense. Uh, You know, I mean, we all know that it's just going to continue to go up. Right. I mean, that's the only way that this works. We're talking about it earlier with all the revenue generated from the new TV deals, you know, from everything that they continue to sell. And who knows exactly all that stuff is. There's only more and more revenue. So as that continues to go up, the cap continues to go up and players get paid more. And that's what the way it's supposed to work with the CBA. The original salary cap in 1994. Do you remember what it was? Do you know? You were alive then, so it actually did exist alive, as far like as you're three. concerned. I don't, I don't know. $34.6 million was the original wow. salary cap. Now, now, you've got, now you've got guys who leave that much dead money behind or more when they're yeah. traded. <laughs> Teams are just shrugging at a $34.6 million cap charge, but, but that is where we are. And almost $34.6 million, the cap number... The franchise tag value, cash and cap for quarterback this year is $32.4 million. That's relevant to Lamar Jackson. Now we know if the Ravens go non-exclusive franchise tag, that's how much he'll cost on a one-year contract if he signs it and doesn't try to leave, if he doesn't sign an offer sheet with another team. And if he can't work out a long-term deal 
with the Ravens. That's what it'll be. $32.4 million for 2023. And then next year it would be a 20% raise at a minimum over that amount under the non-exclusive tag. That's what the Ravens are looking at. That's what Lamar's looking at. That's not a horrible payday. But when you're trying to get your major life-changing generational contract, 32.4 is a far cry from what you're hoping to get. Well, I think it would mean that he would still be significantly underpaid compared to the elite, let's call it, quarterbacks of the league, right? I mean, you've got guys like Matthew Stafford who have an average annual value of $40 million on their contract. And so Lamar Jackson is going to be making $8 million less than that. That's not, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things where you're looking at it and you say, man, I just, I just wish that Lamar Jackson had been able to come to a deal with the Ravens before this so that he would not be underpaid. And I understand, you know, betting on yourself and all of that. And obviously if you get the 120% raise in the next year, it makes a difference. But when you're going into your sixth season and you completed your rookie contract and you are as good as Lamar Jackson is, it's very rare to see a quarterback be underpaid like this. Because that's what he would be. This is not Kirk Cousins, you know, where you're on the margins of, well, is he good? And is it this? And no, is it that? And well, I guess sometimes, you know, as long as it's Sunday at one o'clock. No, 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 no. Lamar Jackson is great. We all know Lamar Jackson is great. And so him being paid $32 million, it's like, man, that's, that's kind of a bargain for the Ravens at this point. And what it would be then, Kirk Cousins is the model that Lamar Jackson is currently following. Two franchise tags and then out because it would be 32.4 million this year and then that and i'm doing the math here as we go the 20 percent raise next year would make it 38.8 million it's 71 million in change over the next two years then the ravens would not tag him the following year because it would be a 44 percent increase 55.9 million i don't know maybe they would tag him a third time at 55.9 million depending upon where the cap is depending upon where the market is depending upon where he is but either way the thinking is it would be two more years max with the ravens and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent in lieu of that 55.9 million dollar salary cap figure for what would be 2025 that's what cousins did tagged twice by washington and then he walked away but but Now's the time to get the major deal. August was the time to get the major deal. And, you know, ESPN has reported twice now. They did it in September. They did it again last week that Lamar Jackson was offered $133 million fully guaranteed. And there have been people out there like, oh, how dare the Ravens only offer him that amount of money? And folks, look, until you see the full deal, until you can understand how the deal works, when further guarantees vest, because the key factor in all of these contracts, one year in, How much more becomes fully guaranteed one year in? Because they ain't cutting them after one year. And a lot of these deals have a major payment that becomes fully guaranteed March of the second year, which means as a practical matter, it's not 133. It's a lot higher than that. Until you see all of it, you don't know whether or not the deal was a good one. You don't know whether or not you would recommend that your son or daughter accept a contract like that if they're in a business proposition. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. What would you have your kid do when you yeah. see these deals? Would you advise your kid to do it? And that's very relevant because Lamar Jackson's mother is the one who's advising him in this. Right, exactly. And it's it's part of why we just – we don't really know what the situation is. And, you know, I I want to side with Lamar Jackson on all of it. I, I think that he should be one of the highest-paid players in the league. But you just – we don't know really what the negotiation is. And this is – unprecedented because we have a quarterback who is not being represented by an agent who has done this as many times as many of these big time agents have. And that's his right. I'm not saying it's not, but you know, it's just one of these situations where you want the player to get paid, but at the same time, Baltimore as an organization is going to do what they want. That's why it's a negotiation. Not everybody is going to get exactly what they want in this. The Ravens have said nothing about any of the details of the contract that was offered to Lamar Jackson in August of last year. Out of respect for the process, Lamar wants Mm -hmm. it all to be kept very quiet, okay? Well, somebody leaked enough of it to create the impression 
that the Ravens didn't make a good offer to Lamar Jackson. That's what this is right. all about. Oh, it's only $133 million fully guaranteed. Look at Kyler Murray. Look at Deshaun Watson. Look at this. Okay, fine. Let's put all the details out there. Somebody, Lamar Jackson, NFLPA, put out there all the details of what the Ravens' best offer was. And I predict that if that would ever happen, there would be an overwhelming majority of folks who would say, Lamar, you should have taken that deal when you can. And you better go ask if you can get it now because maybe they've changed their mind. That, that's my prediction if Lamar Jackson would ever put all the contract details out there in an effort to show us how unreasonable the Ravens were being. I think it would have the opposite impact, and I think people would say you probably should have taken that deal. Well, look, I I think also part of this is that we give the Baltimore Ravens some benefit of the doubt because we know that they are a well-run organization, right? We know Eric DaCosta is a good GM. We know that John Harbaugh is a good head coach, and he has tried to say all of the right things in press conference settings. So is Eric DaCosta. You know, Bashadi is a pretty darn good owner as well. So that's, I think, where... Some of this, it's, I don't want to even say tilted in the Ravens here because it's not necessarily, but it's, we're giving uh, the Ravens as an organization a benefit of the doubt that we probably almost certainly would not give to, let's say, the Houston Texans, right? One of these organizations that we know is not uh, as functional as the Ravens are. And that's why the Ravens are as competitive as they are each and every single year. So I, I think that's one of the dynamics that plays into it too. When John Harbaugh and Eric DaCosta met with the media 12 days ago for their end-of-season press conference, at one point DaCosta said there's two different Lamar Jacksons we're dealing with. We're dealing with the player, and we're dealing with the agent. And I love Lamar Jackson, the player, yada, yada, yada. Nobody ever pressed him for his opinion on Lamar Jackson, the agent. I have a feeling it would have been an interesting response in contrast to his feelings on Lamar Jackson the player but that's where it's going if they can't work this out i think it'll be non-exclusive franchise tag at 32.416 million then he can go out to the open market and he can see if someone will sign him to an offer sheet understanding that the ravens don't match it they have to give up two first round picks that's the stakes that's the price and that's where i think this is going to where this is going to be when the dust settles on the franchise tag applications for 2023 let's take a break when we return let's have a draft of the unsung heroes from Championship Sunday. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. You know, each game's a little bit different, but it was great to set the tone there um, and get the lead, right? And get the lead and, and put them behind. Taylor, stop it. Taylor, stop. It's Taylor Sirianni, don't stop, never stop. I love the spirit. The spunk, the gestures, awesome, awesome. And, hey, Nick, you bring your little kids up there with you. You run the risk that they're going to do the things that little kids do. I thought that moment was awesome. Yeah, I I did too. I mean, I don't love kids in press conferences unless it's like the championship game or the Super Bowl. So that's just me as a, a grumpy writer who, you know, has deadlines usually or whatever when you're in those press conference settings. But, like, that, that's awesome, you know? You, you see the, the little kid because she's just m- mimicking and emulating her dad who she's seen do this stuff all the time. Like, that is fantastic. I love that little human moment, especially when I don't have an article to write off of that press conference. <laughs> and it's obvious that her Italian DNA has taken over given her propensity <laughs> to speak it with our hands. And I can do that because I'm Italian. And by the way, the yeah, Italians are the last group out there that anyone can make fun of. I mean, I've, I've, I'm not offended by any of the stuff that you see, but like they even poke fun of it on SNL, that the Italians are the last ones you can make fun of. And you can do it with a Mario voice and nobody cares. And I can do it because I'm Italian. All right. Uh, let's do a draft of the unsung heroes from the Thank AFC you. and NFC championship game. All right. You're up first. <laughs> Um, I would like to go with this draft <laughs> and stop whatever it is that's going on on the other side of the screen. Um, but yeah, my first pick is going to be Sky Moore <laughs> because he was not supposed to be returning punts in that game. A lot of guys got hurt for Kansas City, right? And so he ends up having to return this punt. And he kind of lost a game for Kansas City earlier on in the season when he fumbled upon against the Colts. One of the weirdest results of the season that the Colts beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But he takes that punt 
when he goes 29 yards up the right sideline, and that sets up the Chiefs to have a really good shot at getting a game-winning field goal. So as much as that aside penalty obviously set things up for Harrison Bucker, the, the Chiefs maybe don't even have a chance to get that close if Sky Moore does not take that punt and return it as well as he did. I'm going to go Isaiah Pacheco, the guy who got number 10 not long after Tyreek Hill was traded to the Dolphins, and I still see 10, and I think it's Tyreek Hill. He runs with a determination and yeah. and just a, a brute force and will that no one else on that team has, and it's noticeable. It jumps off the screen when you're watching the games. And, and, and that it, you know, look, it gets the tough yards. It gets you the first downs. He had 59 receiving yards on five catches. He only had 26 rushing yards on 10 attempts. But you need that to counterbalance the passing game. You need a guy who's going to bang it into the line of scrimmage, even if he only gains a couple of yards. You need that just to keep the defense on its heels and, and guessing a little bit about what the play is going to be. And they have a real running threat, a real running back threat in Isaiah Pacheco. And, and, and he's a guy that I think is going to be a key if they're going to have a chance to beat the Eagles coming up here in 12 days, Miles. I totally agree with you. And look at that. We took two rookies from the Kansas City Chiefs. What does that tell you about the job Brett Beach did over the course of this last offseason? I'm going to kind of go off the board for my next pick. That's going to be the replay board operator at Lincoln Financial Field because the way that whoever that person is hit a button so that the replay came up on the Jumbotron that made Kyle Shanahan not pull the red flag out and challenge that play on Devontae Smith on fourth and three on the first drive of the game. Kyle Shanahan said this, that he was probably going to challenge it, but then he saw the replay and the replay, he was surprised that they showed it because of course it ostensibly would not have helped the Eagles, but on the replay he saw, it looked like Smith caught it. And then later on, we all learned that Smith actually did not catch that ball. So that is definitely an unsung hero because because that drive, of course, ended in a touchdown for the Eagles. You assume the replay board operator at Lincoln Financial Field even would have had access to that replay. I don't think that that person would have, but I like the creativity. I'm going to see that, and I'm going to raise you one. I'm going to say whoever got in the ear of Ron Torbert and told him to throw a flag for intentional grounding, even though that's not one of the things that expedited review is supposed to encompass They've got that pipeline. They're not afraid to talk through it. And that flag came so late from Ron Torbert, who's the guy that makes the call for intentional grounding. Somebody broke the rules. And it ended up being a pretty key moment in the game. And it was intentional grounding, folks. I know people are saying that Samaji Pirine was in the vicinity. He was seven yards away. He wasn't in the vicinity. And we know what Joe Burrow was doing there. He does that move all the time, that quick little throw it down to the ground. And he didn't do it quick. He didn't abort the play. He knew the walls were closing in. And he just fired it through an opening to the ground. He was trying to avoid a sack. That was intentional grounding. Look, I'm, I, I'm, I, I like starting it up when there's a bad call. That wasn't a bad call. But somebody told Ron Torbert to make that call. Unsung hero, especially from the Chiefs' perspective. All right, let's take a break. We will do round three when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, one more round of the unsung heroes from the conference championship Sunday. Miles, what do you got? Oh, this is another one that's kind of off the board and probably depends on your perspective, but I'm going to go with the Cincinnati mayor. Because for whatever reason, he decided to stir the pot with this whole Joe Burrow needs to take a paternity test to see if he's Patrick Mahomes' father thing. And A, that provided some pretty clear motivation for the Kansas City Chiefs. But it also gave us one of the best podium speeches in the history of podium speeches when Travis Kelsey calls the Cincinnati mayor a jabroni. Oh, it was awesome. And it was clear they took all that talk to heart. The borough had stuff, the mayor, the cigars, everything. And it's not like they won by 30. They needed that extra little impetus to get over the top against a Bengals team that is very dangerous. L let me just, just for fun, I'll go, I'll go Brett Kern, the Eagles punter, because he still averaged 45 per punt, even though one of his punts was marred by the wire. How did they not Allegedly. see... 
that the wire, yeah. How did they not see that the wire hit the ball? Uh, everybody on the sidelines saw it. It's not like they all collectively cooked up a lie at the same time. They had some same common hallucination. They all saw it hit the wire. Well, you know, that wire is pretty thin, Phil. It's kind of tough to see it, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's the great irony. And again, I think I'm using it right. In the one game, we had a mulligan when we shouldn't have had one. In the other game, we didn't have a mulligan when we should have had one. And Brett Kern still had 45 yards per punt, even with one of them marred by Skycam. All right, that's it. Miles, you can go back to bed. Thanks for filling in. Hopefully, Chris will be back tomorrow. If not, set your alarm for 3.30 a.m. Pacific time. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.